Hello, and welcome to the Bamboo Lab Podcast with your host, Peak Performance Coach, Brian Bosley. Are you stuck on the hamster wheel of life, spinning and spinning, but not really moving forward? Are you ready to jump off and soar? Are you finally ready to sculpt your life? If so, you've landed in the right place. This podcast is created and broadcast just for you. All of you strivers, thrivers, and survivors out there. If you'd like to learn more about Brian and the Bamboo Lab, feel free to reach out to explore your true peak level at www.bamboolab3.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Bamboo Lab Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Bosley, and today we have a guest on that I have known for more than 20 years. But before we introduce this illustrious man, I want to share a beautiful heart letter that we got just a couple of days ago regarding the podcast that went out on the uh, 9th of this month of June, two days ago. It was regarding the podcast I did with my youngest child, Dawson, and it has been a huge hit. We've gotten so many letters, emails, texts, uh, messages. This one just said it was so good. Amazing insightfulness and a perspective from an obviously amazing kiddo. Love to hear that. Uh, keep those heart letters coming in, please. Our goal is 10,000. We're not quite there yet, but we're over 1,000 in the first year. So when they're coming in more and more every week, please continue to share with the Bamboo Lab guests what they mean to you, the message that they send, and the insight. Please share with us exactly what they did impact you. All right. Today's this morning's analytics, and by the time this podcast airs, they will be uh, even more. But as of today, which this recording is on January 11th, 2023, we are now being subscribed to and broadcast on six continents, 43 countries, all 50 U.S. states, and 1,117 cities across the globe. So that's all to do with the amazing guests we bring on. And so I'm going to, without further ado, I'm going to introduce this amazing guest. So Today, ladies and gentlemen in the Bamboo Pack, we have Chuck Wackendorfer. He's the president of distribution at Think to Perform. And you guys might remember Doug Linick a few months ago. He's also a Think to Perform. Chuck is a thought leader, internationally recognized speaker, author, and an executive coach who develops leaders to achieve record-setting performances. And I can attest because I got to work alongside of Chuck two decades ago. With a background in mechanical engineering, Chuck has attended Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota as well as Harvard's Business School's prestigious advanced management program. For the past 17 years, and that's so hard to imagine, Chuck, that you've been there that long, at Think to Perform, he has developed leaders, high achievers, and cohesive teams to increase engagement and to make a positive difference while building and improving market share, increasing client and employee retention, as well as improving the corporate bottom line. Focus industries for Chuck include the financial services industry, real estate, technology, banking, healthcare, and other service businesses. As a thought leader in achieving record performance, Chuck is an in-demand in public, internationally public speaking and has been quoted extensively by major media, including Investors Business Daily, Forbes, Fortune, and CNN Money. He is currently living and residing with his family in Denver, Colorado. So all the way from Denver, Colorado, Chuck Wackendorfer, welcome to the Bamboo Lab podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Great to be a part of this series. It sounds like you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people. Well, with people like you on, we certainly are, Chuck. We certainly are. Now, it's been amazing. I'm proud to be a part of it. Oh, I appreciate that. It's an honor to have you on here. Now, we've known each other, Chuck, for a long time, and we've got to, I got to work alongside him, and I got a couple of sh- stories I, I've saved up I want to share. Of how- <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're all good. They're all clean ones. But, 
Chuck, can you please share with the Bamboo Pack audience a little bit about yourself, where you came from, your childhood, whatever you want to share, who were in, what inspired you, who inspired you as a child? Just give us the young version of Chuck. Sure. I, I, you know, it's a very introspective question. You know, everybody's got a, a life story, things that happened in our lives, some we planned, some we didn't plan that shape who we are today. You know, I grew up, I was born on the East Coast and very early um, moved to Colorado when I was about fourth grade. And for any of you who have lived out west, you know, you're, you're outside most of the time. So camping, fishing, skiing, hiking, uh, you know, exploring the outdoors and just a little bit of family history. You know, most of my parents' families lived in Philadelphia. So for probably four or five generations, they lived right there on the East Coast. And when my dad announced to his parents and my mom's parents that they were moving to Colorado, my grandparents thought moving away meant you were living moving to the other side of Philadelphia. <laughs> so for them to comprehend that we were moving to Colorado, I think literally my grandparents, this is back in the 60s, thought we were going to be living with the Indians. And I mean, I, I mean that in, you know, in, in the most sensitive way possible. That my grandmother dropped out of school in third grade. They had never been on an airplane. And so taking us to Colorado was like a mind-blowing experience for my family. And it really opened my eyes to what was possible. That, you know, until that point in my life, you know, my grandparents were within walking distance of my home. I saw pretty much everybody in my extended family every week. I had never been on an airplane. I had never been on a mountain. Um, and so what my father did and my, and my mom, by you know, taking us to Colorado was expand my horizons well beyond what I had ever imagined to that point in my life. And I think that decision on his part, you know, to kind of break the mold of his own family really kind of shaped how I thought about the rest of my life. Cause I always wondered like, what if my dad never left Philadelphia, how different my life would have been. And the interesting thing is I had this conversation with my dad the other day, he's 89 is not only did my dad change his life and change his kid's life, he changed his grandchildren's life because my son is now a professional snowboarder. My son would not be a pro snowboarder. He travels all over the world was on the U.S. snowboarding team um, competing, but he would not have been in snowboarding if my father had not decided, his grandfather had not decided to move to Colorado. So it's interesting, like a decision about changing a job or moving, the impact it has not only on your life, but on the lives of generations to come in your family. And so that really shaped who I am today is – you know, it, the sense of adventure and like, you know, taking a risk, making the harder decision. I, I saw my you know, model very early in my life and I kind of like something that's, you know, unconsciously shaped who I am. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't even know you. I didn't know your son was a professional snowboarder at all. Yeah. That's yeah, he travels so, the world. Man. He's in Switzerland right now competing an event this weekend. So he's, he's, been on the U.S. team since he graduated high school, you know, and I think that that adventurous or that adventure spirit 
um, shaped not only his life, but also my daughter's. My daughter's, my one's in high school, my oldest daughter lives in Brooklyn. You know, they've not been afraid to take risks in their lives because they've seen, you know, their mother and I do that. But I saw that with my own parents, with my father. And so you, 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 your things you intend to teach your children, but then there's things that you, that they pick up that maybe you didn't intend. And that's one of the things I picked up from my parents, from my father. I, so do you ever think back, Chuck, if your mother and father never would have left the East Coast and gone to Colorado, I wonder who and what you'd be, what would you be doing? What kind of man would you be today? Very different than I am today. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can tell you, like, I've asked that question of myself, like, well, how different would my life have been? And, you know, I think this is a, this is a generalization. I think, you know, having lived so close to my family, there's certainly benefits to that when you have that close knit family circle. I miss that moving to Colorado. But I think the risk of going somewhere new and trying something new was greatly diminished for me. It's like, okay, I can do that. Where I saw people who never left Philadelphia in my family were more like, more afraid, if I can use that word, more concerned about doing something new. Where I didn't feel that. Like, I saw it work out. Like, we went to Colorado, we forged a new life you know, to pick up totally different activities. And so trying something new was less fearful for me. Well, I, I think what you taught, taught us at a very young age is to expand that comfort zone. And and obviously, I saw you doing that when you were with American Express, with Ameriprise, and then, of course, you know, it, at a certain age in your life where you had a very established career at a large Fortune 500 company, then you yeah. took off and went off to think to perform. I didn't realize you've been there 17 years already. Yeah, I've actually, I've been with Think to Perform longer than I was with American Express. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. That is crazy to think about. And I'm finishing my 19th year with Think to Perform and I was with American Express for 17 Oh, so it's 19 years with, with Think to Perform now. Well, yeah, yeah. We, we, the, the bio you have maybe is a little dated, but it's, it's, it's 19 compared to 17. So I've actually been doing this longer. And so I think this, you know, even, even leaving engineering, you know, I, I remember getting out of college. You know, I became an engineer because I was good at math. And it was because what my dad did. My dad was an engineer. And... You know, I had to survive on my own. My dad made it very clear at 21, you're on your own. <laughs> so he had three more kids, my brother and sisters, to support and get through college. So, like, I better have a job and I better be able to support myself. So I got an engineering degree. But I remember, like, after about six months of working in my new engineering job, realizing, like, I didn't like it. I couldn't see how... I could do this for the rest of my career. And I was really in a very difficult spot because, you know, I'd worked four years to get this degree. And all of a sudden, within the first year or two, I realized, like, I didn't like it. And I was unhappy. And I didn't know what else to do. And so I looked at going back to school and getting a law degree. I looked at going back to get my MBA. I looked at other engineering jobs. And what I realized, what I, what I was looking for was control of my time and control of my income. And being a lawyer and joining a law firm or getting an MBA or getting another engineering position, unless I started my own business, wasn't going to afford me that. 
And so sometimes when you're making choices in life, you have to be clear about what you don't want to know what you do want. Mm. And I knew what I didn't want was somebody controlling my own time and my income. I remember, you know, one of my first annual performance reviews as an engineer, you know, I got like a 3% raise and my roommate who killed himself and I don't mean killed himself literally. I mean like worked a lot, like worked 70, 80, hundred hour weeks, got a 4% raise. We both worked for the same company and he, you know, so he ended up making like $25 a month more than I did. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, yeah, but he gave up like every weekend he had. And I was like, you know, and I started to project my life forward. So I'm 22, 23 years old. I'm thinking like at 35 or 40, do I want to be doing this? And the answer was no. And so sometimes I think we, we get caught up in the day to day, but without thinking about like, the path that we're on, is this taking us to where we want to end up? And for some reason, I was able to think about that at a very young age and think about like, I really, even though this is what I worked so hard to get, it's not taking me to where I want to go. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew what I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, one of your questions is like, who inspired me most? I think it, were, it was people, not a person. It was people who pushed themselves that inspired me most. So, you know, athletes are probably the most visible, but explorers, people who were willing to, like, take a risk were the ones uh, who inspired me most because you know, it, it wasn't without danger in some cases or setbacks, certainly, or failure, but they somehow managed to, to you know, persevere through all that and achieve something that they, you know, exceeded their expectations. And so I was like, okay, I want to be able to look back on my life again, projecting forward. I want to be able to look back on my life and go, I didn't just settle that. I actually, you know, pushed myself to learn and grow and try new things, which is what led me to American Express. You know, I was, I was like, okay, I don't really know anything about being a financial advisor. I was 100% commission at the time. It's not that way now anymore. Right. But, but I remember having a conversation with my father, and I, was t I told him I was going to go be a financial advisor for American Express, and he's like, well, what are they going to pay you? And I said, well, no, Dad, it's 100% commission. And, and he got real quiet on the other end of the phone. He's like, really? And I said, yeah, and I actually have to pay $600 a month for my office. <laughs> And he's like, you know, <laughs> and to his credit, he was one of my first clients. So, well, he had to you be. Know, he had to pay that well, six hundred. I mean, he, he had to pay that six hundred bucks for more. <laughs> he knew I was on my own. I was going to be having to live out of my car and eat peanut butter sandwiches. Mm. It didn't work out, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, I was like, I want to be able to look back and go, I tried something new. And I tried to break out of this, this mold. And I saw people who were older in my life who had regrets. And, and by the way, now that I'm 62, I realize no matter how old you are or what you do for a living or how you live your life, everybody has regrets. But I saw people who the regrets they had were about paths they didn't take, mm. risks that they, things that they didn't push themselves to do. 
And they ended up like wondering woulda, shoulda, coulda. And those weren't regrets I wanted to have. I might regret a mistake. I might regret, you know, something I, I did. I certainly have those. I'm divorced for about four years. I regret my divorce, even though I'm happier. Um, but I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be able to look back and go, I did my best. And, and I think, you know, you know, for a lot of us, it's scary to, to think about pushing yourself to that limit to say, you know, did I do my best here? I just want to. I knew I was settling for engineering. I want to stop for a minute and capture some of the stuff you said because some of the audience might be driving, walking, hiking on the treadmill. I want you to capture this bamboo pack for what just capsulate the main point of what Chuck has said so far in the first 15 minutes or so. He went from engineering to financial services, had a very established career at financial services, went on to then executive coaching and speaking, and now we're going to talk about this in a minute has written a book that's going to be, uh, I believe, available April of, two th- of this year. You can pre-order it on Amazon. I'll have a link to it on the body of the text, of the, the body and text of the podcast. And what he's saying here is, going back to his family history, his mother and father left the East Coast, went to Colorado. It was mind-blowing for his family. Well, what it, Chuck said it did for him, it opened up his mind to the opportunities out there. And he had never been on an airplane before. It maybe never would, would have been exposed to the mountains and all the things he's done professionally and personally. But it's all about taking risks. It's, it's idolizing those explorers of the world, those those game changers, those iconoclastic people who who put all their poker chips on the table. They don't they gamble on themselves on a consistent basis because they know it's a good gamble. It's a good bet to take. And like he said, we all have regrets. We all do. But have regrets about the things that you you did the mistakes you made, the things you might have said. Don't have regrets about the chances you didn't take and the risks you didn't take because those regrets will haunt you forever. The regrets that we have about the things that we did or said, we can always go back and we can correct those at times or, or do our best. We can forgive ourselves. We can help ask for forgiveness from another person. We can make amends. But the things, you, the, the roads you didn't take that you should have taken, you can't go back and retake those roads. So that was very powerful. So I want to go on to the next question, Chuck. I want you to I want to talk about your book. So Chuck has a book out or coming out here soon, written, ready to go on Amazon. I believe it's going to be released in April of this year. You can pre-order it on Amazon right now. It's called Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It. Eight essential and uh, eight essentials to enhance your leadership impact at work, home, and anywhere else that needs you. And it's co-written but with him and uh, Doug Linick. Can you please share, Chuck, a little bit about the book, where the inspiration came from, and tell us what we're going to get, because my book is, is pre-ordered. I'm looking forward to getting it here in a few months. Can you tell us what the book entails? Yeah, it's it's a book, as you mentioned in the description, that really is, is for anyone who wants to influence others in a positive way. So a lot of leadership books are written from a business point of view. And certainly, I mean, there's some fantastic business leadership books out there. But Doug and I, when we first started talking about the idea of a book, we were looking at the world, and this is probably just before COVID hit, and looking at all of the issues around the world and, you know, Whatever you want to talk about, you know, overpopulation, climate change, 
uh, imbalance in wealth. I mean, there's all kinds of things. These are big, big, big problems. And it's going to take more than our elected leaders or corporate executives to fix these problems. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I personally have to solve climate change. Right, that's not more, the, the, book, the book is not suggesting that, but I can make a difference in my neighborhood. I can make mm-hmm. a difference in my community. I can make a difference in my family. I can make a difference in the team that I lead at my, at my office. And so that was the, kind of the genesis of the book is if, if you have, well, I think there's 8 billion people on the planet. If we had half those people Make, focusing on making a positive difference in the world, whatever that positive difference might be, we start. You know, we started to wonder, like, what would the impact be, and how great would that be? And so that's really the genesis of the book is, you know, how do I, how do I begin to make that difference? I'm not, I can't wait for somebody else. And I think that's what a lot of the world may be doing is waiting. Like, if I just had a better president, if I had a better mayor, if I had a better governor, if I had a better CEO. Well, yeah, but like, what's that going to cost you? And by the way, it's like the diamonds in your backyard. Like you could be making a positive difference in the, just the, the people you interact with on a day to day basis. So how do we, how do we do that? And how do I live a better life myself? So we have this premise of think to perform that in order to be more effective with other people, I got to do a, a better job of managing my own behavior. So to be more effective with others, I gotta I gotta manage my own behavior. In order to manage my own behavior, I gotta make great choices. And managing great or sorry, making great choices is grounded in self awareness. So it's almost counterintuitive that for me to have a great relationship with somebody else, the person I have to pay the most attention to is me. And we make about thirty five thousand decisions a day. So most of them we don't think about. So how I take my coffee brushing my teeth, getting dressed. Those are all choices I make that I don't think about. And I don't have to make all 35,000 decisions better a day, but if I made one or two better choices a day, over the course of a year, you're talking about six, 700 better decisions. And if you've ever been to any kind of reunion, I don't care if it's a family reunion or a school reunion, you may have a situation, I've had a situation like I had a few years ago when I went to my 40th high school reunion where you walk into the ballroom this is of course before covid and it's filled with all the people you used to hang out with and somebody spots you from across the room and they go hey brian what's going on man <laughs> right and they're walking up to you and you're going like who's that and then all of a sudden you go oh that's chuck and the very next thing that pops into your mind is what the hell happened to that guy right and that's the impact of decision-making on the trajectory of your lives. We were all doing the same thing, having fun, doing the same activities. And all of a sudden, 35,000 decisions a day over 10, 20, in my case, 40 years of my life, takes your lives in very different directions. And it's the one thing as parents, right? We, you know, For those of us who have teenagers, what do you yell to your teenagers that are walking out, the, out, out of the house? Make great choices, right? So decision-making matters but decision-making is also grounded in self-awareness. So you probably heard this from Doug when you had him on your podcast, like paying attention to myself, what makes me happy, what stresses me out, what don't I like, 
who, what kind of people do I enjoy being with? Those are all important questions that require me to look in the mirror. And then once I know that, I can't unknow it. So me, me realizing engineering was not for me, like doing that self-examination, I, can't, I couldn't unknow that at 23 years old. I couldn't like, I mean, I guess I could, I could ignore it, but I couldn't unknow it. And every day I realized engineering was not for me, that I spent in engineering meant I was lying to myself and I couldn't do that. Well, I'm going to stop just for a minute because I want the Bamboo Pack audience to know that for the first 10 people who reach out to me, send me a heart letter, a message, text, however you want to get to me, telling you, telling us what Chuck's message has meant to you today. For the first 10, I'm going to have a pre-ordered copy of Chuck and uh, Doug's book waiting for you. So on April 4th, I believe is the release date, uh, it will be sent to you at sometime after that date. So reach out because this right here is gold stuff right here. And I just want to recapture because Chuck, what I, what I just learned is something I didn't know. That we have, we make. 30, I might have heard this at one point, but when you, the way you phrased it, we make thirty thousand decisions a day on average. Some of those are just subconscious, unconscious, brushing our teeth, tying our shoes, blah blah blah. But if you can, so think about this, folks. This one hit me right in the right in the heart. If you can make one or two better decisions every day, one or two. Personal transformation, professional transformation isn't about these big aha moments. It's about these sh- small, short, or these small decisions that we make on a consistent basis. One or two better decisions every day. That's it. That's it. So it could be something minor, but one or two a day. At the end of the year, you'll have, a, you know, you can have up to 600 and some better decisions you have made. That is transformation right there. That's a different person one year from today than you are today. That's walking into the uh, into the class reunion and looking in the mirror and not recognizing yourself because you've grown so much. So just think about that. So reach out, please, because I, w- I want this book to get out because I pre-ordered my copy. And it, when it gets here, I'll drop anything I'm reading because the respect I have for Chuck and Doug and the stuff I know about them and the books I've read of Doug's already, this, this is going to be life-changing stuff. So, so I appreciate that. I, I love what you said about... You know, um, managing, start with managing your behavior. Well, really, it's managing your own behavior. Start Then from there, you have to, to do that. You have to have better choices, make better choices, one or two a day, a day. And then to do that, you have to have better self-awareness. So think about that, Bamboo Pack. You know, looking at making, uh, having self-awareness, what makes you happy? What makes you sad? What drives you? What are you afraid of? Get to know yourself on a, on a very primal, raw level. And one of the best ways you could do that is something we've talked about before in the podcast is, you know, every once in a while, stop yourself and just ask yourself right now, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I physically doing? Who am I with and where am I at? Because that defines reality. And if you don't like the answer to one of those questions, ask if it's what am I feeling? Ask yourself, what are you feeling? If you can do those kinds of things, that's going to help you practice and get obtain, I should say, more self-awareness. But like Chuck said, it starts with self-awareness, then it's from there, it's to, you make better choices, and from there you have better behavior. And that's how we change the world. We don't change it by electing better presidents or new CEOs in the company. That all helps, but we have very little influence over this. This, we all have direct self, we have complete control over. So that was really good stuff, Chuck. Chuck, in writing the book, you know, since COVID, you guys, you and Doug started writing the book after looking out and seeing what the world needed. What were some of your biggest learnings or what was your greatest learning during that time frame? That's a great question. Uh, we interviewed polar explorers, Olympic coaches, mountain climbers, 
uh, people who started nonprofits. We interviewed a woman in Costa Rica who, her name's Urena, uh, uh, Georgina Urena is her name. She lives in a town called Haco in Costa Rica. And when COVID hit, COVID, you know, Costa Rica, as many of your audience know, is a, is a tourist destination. Most of their economy is tourist-based. So when COVID hit, her little town of Haka, which sits in the west coast of Costa Rica, was devastated because the, most of their economy is tourism-based. And so what Georgina decided to do was, was start an exchange. And the exchange she started was for exchange of goods and or services. So people didn't have money, right? A lot of their, their clientele dried up, but they did have the ability to clean your office or do your laundry. And, you know, somebody else had a farm and they were growing goods. And so she started this exchange in Hako where people could come and swap goods and services. And it changed the the you know the you know the the economy there in this little little city, and it's thriving now. It's called Hako Impact is the name of her her nonprofit. And so here's somebody who you know was overwhelmed, you know, just like every everybody else was with COVID, and she decided well she's going to like make an effort to do a, make a positive difference in her community and founded this nonprofit, and it's thriving today. I mean, they do beach cleanup. They produce goods that are sold now that tourism has come back. Um, they have a, a, a thriving office in, the, in, in downtown Hako. And she, this thing's only about five or six years old. And so, you know, we have this like plethora of people that we interviewed. Stephen Covey, we interviewed, which many of you, I'm sure your audience have read Stephen Covey's work. Oh, yeah. Um, and you get to sit, you know, Ken Chanel, who was the former CEO of American Express. So we have these people from around the world doing very different things, but making a positive difference. And we have them just kind of share their own life experience, much like you're doing in your podcast. They shared their story with us. And there's a pattern to that. And the pattern are these eight essentials that we identify in their book. They, in our book, they, you know, looked at who they wanted to be. And each person we interviewed had somebody they aspired to be. I don't mean like somebody else. There was a person inside them that they aspired to be. They were able to look in the mirror and assess who they really were. And then they were able to make better choices to say, okay, back to your point, how do I make a decision today that moves me in the direction of the person that I want to be? And that was kind of the, the big aha. I mean, we got to sit for, and these interviews were 90 minutes and we interviewed probably 60 different people for this book. And so you, we share their learnings in each of these eight essentials. And again, it's, it's meant for anybody that lives anywhere. It's, you know, it does, you don't have to be, have a, you know, a corporate title of VP or whatever. I mean, it's like you can use this information just like Georgina did in her little town of Hako to make a positive impact. And I think that's really what, Chuck, the Bamboo Pack audience, we call the Bamboo Lab audience the Bamboo Pack, by the way. So when you hear me say that, it's kind of synonymous to the audience. So the Bamboo sure. Pack, what I'm hearing from them through their letters and phone calls and texts and emails is that 
that's what they really want to do. They want to make a difference in their lives, in their own lives, but they really want to impact the world. And they, you know, and I'm sitting, maybe it's just the people who are attracted to podcasts like this, but it's been enlightening to see that there are so many good hearted people out there who really want to make a difference. And I think there's some component to the fact that we are disgruntled with the political environment in our country. We've gone through, a, you know, a very challenging time with the COVID and the quarantines and the pandemic and just so much, you know, international upheaval. And so maybe I think the goodness in people is, are, is coming out. And so I think it's going to be great that your book can encapsulate because many people want to do that. They just don't really know where to start. And I think you're right. They think they have to have some big title of influence when in reality, we, we all influence so many people around us on a consistent basis. So I think this is going to be a groundbreaking book. And I'm hoping the Bamboo Pack uh, listeners get on there and pre-order. The first 10 to, write to get, get, reach out to us, you're going to get a copy from, from the Bamboo Lab for free anyway. So the rest of you, get on there and pre-order this book because this can be a jumpstart to really changing the way you know, you think, your community thinks, and family, your 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 city, your state, your country, and potentially the entire world. So we're going to continue to promote this book as we go along through the rest of this year. So, all right, Chuck, it, I'm going gonna... it, it, it doesn't have to be the big idea. I think sometimes we wait yeah. for the home run idea, right? But sometimes it's it's the what we can do today, or what what we how we can use the talents and skills we already have. I, I met one of the interviews for the book was a guy named Eric Larson. And I met, met Eric Larson on an airplane. And Eric Larson's a polar explorer. Now, I, you know, uh, I, I know you travel, uh, Brian, but, you know, when I usually get on an airplane, I'm not paying attention to anybody that sits next to me. And I, had, I happened to fall asleep on this flight, and I wake up, and the guy next to me, who was Eric, is looking at pictures of what I thought was Antarctica on his computer. And I said, you know, is that Antarctica? And he goes, no, it's the North Pole. And I was like, really? Like, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a polar explorer. Now, I don't know about you, Brian, but I've never met a polar explorer. A polar explorer to me is like meeting an astronaut. It's like, <laughs> you're a polar explorer. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, we, we skied 480 miles. Him and his partner, Ryan Waters, skied 480 miles to the North Pole. And I was like, well, why did you do that? <laughs> right? It's like, I can see going to the North Pole, but why did you ski? They drug 300-pound sleds 480 miles to the North Pole. And I don't know how geographically educated your audience is, but I didn't realize the North Pole is just ice. Unlike Antarctica, which is a continent, it's just ice. There's no there's no landmass at the North Pole. So with global warming, the land the, the ice cap is breaking up. So what Eric and his partner Ryan had to do was four or five times a day put on a dry suit, get in the Arctic Ocean, drag their sled across the water to the next chunk of ice to get to the North Pole. So He's telling me the story. I'm like, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, because I want to, I want to draw attention to global warming. Because in a decade or two, you're not going to be able to do that. And so his journey is chronicled on Animal Planet. So you can actually watch his, his journey to the North Pole on the Animal Planet. So here's a guy who's a polar explorer. You know, certainly he's done some magnificent things in his life. He's been to the South Pole many times. But here's a guy who's, who's passionate about global warming and decides, risks his life 
to go to the North Pole. And I'm not suggesting that any of us have to risk our lives, but this is what drove drove Eric. Yeah, you're not going to see me in a wetsuit or a dry suit, I should say, in the North Pole, pulling a sled behind me anytime soon. But your point is well taken. It's We all have something we can do. I just right. pulled up his book on thin ice as we were talking on Amazon, and I just put it in my cart. I like I'm going to read that. The name sounded familiar, but I know there's another author out there called Eric Larson who wrote The Devil in the White City and several other best-selling historical uh, document or historical uh, nonfiction books. But I have had heard his name. I just knew nothing about him. So this looks pretty fascinating. And did you say the documentary is on Animal Planet? Yes, and I forget the title of the documentary, but you could probably. Yeah, Google it, I'm sure. Find it. I don't know if it's on, you know, Disney Plus or what who, who owns Animal Planet now, but you can find it. And it was just a stunning journey. Uh because uh, just to, you know, quick quick add to the story, uh, they had fifty-four days to get to the North Pole. And to get picked up by an airplane at the North Pole costs a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so you don't want to be late. And and these guys had uh, mortgage their homes to do this, so they, they didn't have Animal Planet float, floating this this expedition. They actually mortgaged their homes and paid for it themselves, and then sold the story to Animal Planet. So about forty days in, so they have fifty four days to get to the North Pole. Forty days in, they have gone two hundred miles on a four hundred eighty mile journey. They got two hundred 80 miles to go in 14 days. And, you know, I don't want to ruin the story, but you know, from the, from the fact that he's on the animal planet, he gets there yeah. and he talks about how he had to change his, assumpt- uh, change his assumptions to make that happen. And it's just like some of the assumptions we carry is my point come to our listeners here. Some of the assumptions we carry about our lives don't work anymore. And so we have to challenge some of those assumptions, which is what Eric and his partner Ryan did. They, they, they're like, okay, this is not working. What we're doing, we have to do something dramatically different if we want to get to the North Pole. So the, the, what Eric and Ryan knew is they knew where they wanted to end up. They knew where they had to get to the North Pole, and they knew they had to get there by a certain day. And they knew their assumptions weren't working. And so back to the analogy to, to, to each one of us, is if we know where we want our lives to end up and we're not on that path, right? Whatever we're, whatever we're doing is not taking us in that, that direction. Our career, our relationships, our living situation, whatever that might be, our health. If, it, if it's not taking us where we want to end up, then we got to challenge our assumptions, just like Ryan and, and Eric did, and say, this isn't working for me. So maybe some of what I'm assuming is incorrect. And that takes looking in the mirror to to what we were coming uh, earlier. I'm just writing this down, Chuck, so bear bear with me. You know, when you were talking, I started thinking of when you were saying, if you're not happy with certain points in your life or the direction you're going, I started thinking of, you know, we all have multiple facets of our life, professional, relationship, health, financial, spiritual, whatever they might be. And I started dissecting, okay, where are the ones, excuse me, the ones I'm not extremely ecstatic about and as soon as i thought of one venue or, or route that i'm taking in life that isn't really going in the direction i want to go i started right away started seeing some assumptions that i've had and it took a microsecond 
of where I made some poor assumptions, or maybe at one time they were great assumptions, but now they just no longer work for me. They're the old high school, you know, prom uh, uh, tuxedo that was great when I was in 1985, but no longer fits me, but it worked really well then. And sometimes we carry those old assumptions like we did our old prom suits or our old letter jackets in high school that worked and they were great at the time, but in today they just don't fit us anymore. And sometimes we have to shed those. So that was really helpful for me. And I'm sure so many of the bamboo pack are going to hopefully stop and ask yourselves, bamboo pack, of look at the direction of some of the avenues you're carrying in life and all the different routes you're taking or all the different roles you play. Which role are you playing that you're just, it's not working. You're just grinding and grinding. You're on that hamster wheel and you're just not going anywhere. Stop and say, what assumptions have I made of why I'm doing this, how I'm doing it, and then in, in really what I'm doing and ask yourself which one of these assumptions might be wrong or which one of these many, well, there might be many assumptions that are wrong. So, you know, Chuck, well, you were, every, every pattern in life, Brian, we have, it became a pattern because at some point it worked for us. Right. And what happens to your point is as we get older and our lives change, some of those patterns hold us back. And so let me give you an example. I coached a, a very successful guy. His name was Jeff. And Jeff was 45 years old. He probably made $2 million a year. But he was very unhappy. He was lonely. He had never been married. He wanted a relationship. He wanted to have kids. But he worked all the time. He worked all day long, came home, ate dinner, went back to his office in his house, worked all night long, and fell asleep on his desk. Every night he would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with his head on his desk. And so he wanted his life to be different, but he invested, he spent no time in anything but work. And so I asked him, I said, Jeff, where did you learn that you had to work all the time? And without any hesitation, he said, you know, I'm dyslexic. And so to get through college, I had to work two or three times harder than anybody else, you know, to, to get a college degree. And that was a pattern that Jeff had to, you know, employ to get through college. But he continued to employ that pattern well into his 40s. And so what worked for him at 20 was not working for him at 45. And so that's where some of these patterns start is it's what we needed to do to survive. I worked with a woman named Sharon years ago. Sharon was also very successful, but also miserable because she had, she took care of everybody. She took care of her clients. She had stay at home adult children. Her husband didn't have a job. She was a hundred pounds overweight. She worked all day, came home at eight 30 skipped lunch, never ate breakfast, and would eat dinner at like 9 o'clock at night, and she'd do it every single day. And the same question I posed to Jeff, I asked to Sharon. I said, Sharon, where did you learn that you had to take care of everybody else? And but again, without any hesitation, she goes, well, I was raised by a single mom. And when I was seven years old, my mom came down with cancer. And from seven years old to 11, when my mom died, when, when, I, when she died when I was 11 years old, I took care of my mom. And that was a pattern that Sharon had to demonstrate to survive. But it was exactly the opposite pattern that most people learn when they're children. Most people have their parents take care of them. Sharon learned she had to take care of her mom. 
And it was a pattern she continued well into her 50s. She took care of everybody at her own expense. And so that's where you, like, dude, your point around self-awareness is like, okay, so what are the patterns that are holding me back? What are my assumptions here? And are they working for me? Chuck, and that takes courage to do that. Do you think, Chuck, that most um, dramatic moves in our lives or expansions of our comfort zone, like your father and mother moving from the East Coast to Colorado, you going from engineering to financial services to executive coaching, speaking and writing, me leaving Amer American Express and starting a consulting firm. Do you think whenever we make those changes that are fairly drastic in life, they're pretty dramatic. Do you think it, when you do that, are those almost always preceded by some form of challenging our assumptions? Do you think, it, you think we need to challenge our assumptions to do that? It's a great question. I'm just thinking. Well, you know, one of the stories that I'll share with you is my own little, I, I don't know if it's challenging assumptions, but, you, you know, one of the questions that you asked was, you know, what were what, what, one of the biggest setbacks or challenges in my own life? And I was probably 24 years old. I think it was like, what's the most difficult thing I've ever gone through? And I don't know if this is the most difficult, but it's one of the most difficult things I've gone through. I remember I was 24 years old. I had been a financial advisor for about a year. And I'm laying on my bed looking at my ceiling. And I have no money, no food, and no credit. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, this isn't working out too well for me. And I thought, maybe I just need to quit my job. And I thought, well, then I'd have... No money, no food, no credit, and no oh, job. Yeah. That's probably not very good. That's probably not a smart call. And then I started to think about, like, well, there are people in my office that are making the kind of money that I want to make. And so maybe, and this is a big, like, epiphany for a 24-year-old, maybe the reason I'm not making the money that I'm, I want to make is because of me. And it's not the job. Maybe it's something that I'm doing or not doing that I could be doing differently. And that began this like turnaround for me, like this self-examination. So I don't know if it's challenging assumptions, but it's beginning to look at yourself. And I think it, it's looking at your behavior. And you talked about how am I, you know, what am I thinking? How am I feeling? What am I doing? You know, that's the freeze exercise we talk about. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, is my life, and there may be parts of my life that I'm happy with and parts I'm not, but the parts I'm not happy with, what's the pattern there? What are my assumptions? Why is this not working? And are there people that I can go to that have the kind of, they're, they're, that part of their life is working for them? Because I found in life, maybe as you have too, Brian, in your audience, like, I don't really necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. Right. There are people out there doing or living the kind of life I want to live, and I just need to find out, well, how do they think differently than me? What are they doing differently than I am? And then copy that. I have another question, Chuck, that this is more for me. It's a selfish question for me to ask you because you and I do some of the same. Our, our line of work overlaps to some degree. We've both been in the industry roughly the same, you know, you've been a little, you were into financial services longer than I was. 
do you find that when you're in the role that you and I are in, where we are the ones giving and expensing advice and direction and helping people to think through their problems, do you find that it's more challenging or easier for people like us to challenge our own assumptions? Because we, for me, you have Think to Perform. You've got a surrounded, you're surrounded by an amazing team there. And I'm a lone wolf, as you know. I have my clients and I have some great friends who challenge me and I have people like you and Doug that I get to speak with. Do you find that people in our role have a diff- more difficulty or a less difficulty challenging our own assumptions because we are the ones considered to be the masters, so to speak, for lack of a better word? That's also a great question. I can only speak for myself. So I can't speak for anybody else, obviously. And I'd say... Well, let me, let me back up a second. One of my mentors many years ago said to me, everybody wants to be in, in, in the groove, but nobody wants to be in a rut. And wisdom is knowing the difference. Everybody wants to be in the groove. Nobody wants to be in a rut. Wisdom is knowing the difference. <clears throat> and so I think about like, Am I in a groove or am I in a rut? And sometimes I kid myself. Like I really don't want to change, but I'm in a rut. And so, and sometimes I'm in a groove where things are clicking. And so I, I, I don't know that I, I'm, in fact, I know I don't always get that right, but I at least check in with myself like I was having a conversation with my assistant the other day and I was like, how can we make what we do for our, or with our clients better? Cause it would be easy for me to step back and go, Hey, we're, we've been doing this for 20 years. You know, I got a book coming out. It's we're, what we're doing is working, which for the most part it is working. Right. But is there a way I could do it better? And maybe there isn't, maybe the answer is no. But it, it can't hurt to ask the question. Right. And, and I've always felt that, you know, as things have improved for me over the past few years, I keep reminding myself, nothing fails like success. You know, right. nothing fails like success. Don't ever get to the point where you think you have this licked because you are at the, you're still got a lot of climbing to do of that, that mountain you want to get up. And, and you know, I, I, I was talking, Chuck, to a, a guest a few months ago. She's a social media uh, influencer, but she has a, uh, a practice in New York City, downtown New York City, where she, she coaches uh, etiquette and manners. And I asked her, I said, do you find sometimes where that people are, because she's young, I think she was 25, and she's just an amazing young lady with just these impeccable etiquette skills and ability to teach them. And I said, do you, and I, I was finding sometimes that I was getting annoyed by people, friends or family members, or just asking me advice a lot, <clears throat> quite often. You know, you get tired of, pardon me, I got a, I've got a, a chest cold this week, so, um, <clears throat> so I've been clearing my throat a lot. And I said, sometimes I get a little bit annoyed by people coming to me with questions and wanting to me to help them with the things. I do that all day long. And I, when I said it, when her answer to me made me realize how much humility I had to put back into my life, how almost a little arrogance was coming with, with my, my, my experience. Cause she said, you know, Brian, I don't feel that way. I consider it an honor and a responsibility with my friends and family and my loved ones when they ask me advice on etiquette. And I thought, man, how does that 25-year-old young person teach this 55-year-old person 
a piece of advice on humility because I realized, and that made me realize I had to start questioning, Brian, are you becoming arrogant? Are you becoming, are you forgetting that nothing fails like success? And I, that's when I really started hammering that home even more in the last few months. Like, don't get too arrogant. Don't t- t- get too comfortable. Don't get too cocky. Just keep, you know, and that's why I ask that. Is it, sometimes is it harder or easier for people like us who are dispensing advice quite often to, to, uh, to really uh, challenge our own assumptions, are they too in ground? Are they too ingrained, or are we so aware of that because we're teaching other people that that we're that we do it easier ourselves? I'm I'm gonna have to dissect for myself how I feel about that one. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. I don't. I personally, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I realize so that too. I don't. I don't consider my coaching giving advice. I coach people that I don't understand their business as well as they do. I never will. Right. So for me to dispense advice about some, about somebody else's business or their life, when I don't, I don't fully understand it would be reckless. So for me, what I try and do is, ask them questions they're not thinking about. And that's where like my engineering skills, you know, cause engineering is all about problem solving. And so I still do that, even though I'm not an engineer, I just do it with the, my clients who either have lives or businesses that aren't working as well as they'd like them to be. And so I don't have advice about that as much as I do have questions And the questions then help them discover their own answer, which is way better than me pontificating about what I think they should be doing. Because if it works, then they become dependent on me. If it doesn't work, then it's my fault. Amen. So (laughs) I love that. I have to be careful there. And I just ask, I try and ask thoughtful questions around what they may not be considering or thinking about, or to your point, maybe challenging some of their assumptions, like why do you believe that to be true? And I know that was true maybe 20 years ago, but is it still true? That's why I have people like you, Chuck, on the Bamboo Lab podcast, because you can teach a 26-year-old veteran or a 26-year veteran new thoughts, new ideas, and I just wrote both of those down, asking them questions that they haven't thought about and challenging their assumptions. And if you really look at it, one of the things I work a lot with my clients on is, what are the seven things people judge you on most? And one of them is the questions you ask them, the level of questions you ask them. Right. And here I that I did dawn on that is that's really what my job as a, as a consultant and coach is to do. Chuck, do you remember a time? You probably don't remember this, but I got to share this with the audience. I don't know where we were. You were in Detroit. And I think we had two of my consultants working with, with your team at the time. And I was down there with you. And, <laughs> and I asked you, I said, Chuck, all this stuff going on around you. I said, why do you always seem so damn calm? And, and cause you know, it's always this, you know, with the role you played as a VP at American Express, I think it was American, yeah, it was at the time, American Express Financial mm-hmm. Advisors, there was a lot of turmoil. You took over a pretty tough gig there in Detroit. I mean, call it what it is. That was a, that was a tough gig to take over after the, the coup that happened in 97. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember you saying, cause Brian, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing for effect here, but because I don't have to always operate at 100%. And 
And I, I can, I can operate very effectively on 80%. And here's why, because I know that shit's going to hit the fan. And if I'm at a hundred percent, when shit hits the fan, what do I have to offer? But when I'm at 80% and going through and staying calm and in control, when shit hits the fan, I've got 20% left extra to give to making sure that we take care of the problem. I paraphrase for effect. And that always stuck with me. And I have shared that story with multiple clients and people over the years who are always grind, 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 grind on a consistent basis, but they're not stepping back and looking at things from a calm, almost a, a level of a stoicism, the uh, stoic position and seeing things from, from a very objective position. So I, I don't know if you remember telling me that or if you ever told anybody else that, but oh, I remember I that do. well. I, I don't remember that specific conversation, but I remember, I mean, I still follow that mantra to this day. I mean, uh, so many people redline their lives, you know, where they're just going all out all the time. And at some point you burn out. Right. I mean, if you go to the gym and work out five hours a day, seven days a week, eventually your body breaks down. The same is true about your mind. And so if you look at anybody who focuses only on one area of their life, at some point, the rest of that catches up to them. Right. And so one of the things that drew me to Doug Lennox, the guy, you you know, our CEO, I think you perform and you had him had on a few podcasts ago is. Doug was always able to keep his life balanced. And I admired that because I didn't want to sacrifice my health, my family, my children, because I was so focused on my career. And there's plenty of people who do. They have addiction issues. Their kids have issues. They end up divorced. You know, and so, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. And so I was like, okay, so how do I how do I keep this all in balance? And it's hard. Like balance is not 50, 50. Right. It's, it's knowing what balance means to you and knowing which side of the line you're on. So that depending upon which side you're on, you can pull it back. I remember an interview I saw with a woman named Christine Lagarde, Christine Lagarde. I don't know if she still does, but she used to run the international monetary fund and the international monetary fund for those who are not familiar with it, gets money from developed countries and loans that money to undeveloped countries to develop things like infrastructure, roads, utilities, school systems, those kinds of things. So anyway, this woman, she's French, and they're interviewing her. She's a very accomplished woman. She was, you know, uh, had her own law firm. She's an attorney. Her husband was an ambassador. She had three successful kids. Now she runs the International Monetary Fund. And they're asking her, like, you know, the, the, the reporter was like, you know, Christine, you've done all this amazing stuff. Is it possible for somebody to have it all? And I'll never forget her answer. She looked away for a second. <clears throat> and she came back and she said, yes, just not all at the same time. <laughs> and so I think, it, you know, it's like we see this like social media influencers or people living the, the you know the life or whatever it is it, that's like a microcosm whatever 60 seconds of a 24-hour day and so you can't aspire to be something that's not real it, and so you have to like look at all aspects of your life if i want to be successful at 62 as i was at 32 well i gotta have gas in the tank a long way to get there 
And if I want to do a great job of taking care of other people, my employees, my family, my friends, whatever, I got to do the best job of taking care of myself. And we can get by with sacrificing ourselves for a while, a month, a week, six months, but eventually it catches up to us and we pay the price one way or the other. Right on. And I think when you told me that piece of advice, I think my life at that time was, I think the work was catching up to me. I think I was worn thin as an old knife blade at that point. And I, it, it, for some reason, it was 21 years ago and it stuck with me. So, you know, we're working alongside of my clients right now, Chuck, on determining what their brain cycle is. You know, work, how long can you work during the day until you need a break? You need to take a break and, and go just, you know, rest your brain for 10, 20, 30 minutes. And one of the things that I've, I've learned, I'm doing some uh, courses uh, through Robin Sharma right now, who wrote the book, The Everyday Hero Manifesto. It's a year-long course. And he spoke the other day to us talking about the one, the top 1% of the people he coaches, the billionaires and the top elite of all these various industries, he said, they do not subscribe to the grind, grind, grind mentality. And yet all these people coming up trying to be that 1%, that's what they want. That's what they're striving. They're that's what they're implementing to try to get there. He said, these people never have. He said, what they do is they do two things very simply. When they're working, they work intensely. When they're resting, they rest deeply. And I really, that really stuck with me. That to me is that life balance that, like you said, it's different for everyone. It's not 50-50. I consider life, people talk about life balance. I kind of bring it in. I said, it's like a blend. Life blends. And there are times of your life where, yeah, work is incredibly important. And you put a lot of time. When you were in your 20s, Chuck, when I was in my 20s, probably into our 30s, and we really were micro, you know, micromaniacally focused on work and growth and making money and establishing ourselves, then seasons transition us a bit, you know, to the point now where you're thinking about how do I make an impact on the world? You with your book coming out and the coaching that you do and the questions you ask your clients, me with the podcast and the coaching I do, I I think it's now becomes to a point where you're like, I don't consider what I do really work. I mean, I look forward to Monday mornings because I used to dread Monday mornings. Now, when I look at it and I think, I really love what I do. I really enjoy it so much that mm-hmm. I don't get, I get tired at times. My brain gets tired. I get overstimulated very easily in social settings. And I know that's why, because of the way I, the way we, I work during the day, but I don't, I don't get as tired because I stopped 20 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, I was much more tired than I was. And I was much younger then. Mm-hmm. And I think it is because we, I, I found out what that balance meant to me and realize that it's not about the grind anymore. It's just not. It, it can't be. I mean, at a certain point where my focus has to be on family, my grand, my new grandson, and, uh, you know, f- things that are personally really relative to my life and my development. So um, I'm going to share one quick story, Chuck, that I, I I've, this is something that happened. You don't know about this, but I want to share this with you. Uh, it relates to you, the Bamboo Pack audience. So 22 years ago, 21 years ago, before my son was born, my consulting firm, which at the time was called Torch Consulting, was doing a lot of work with Chuck in the Detroit metro market, re- uh, the Detroit metro region for American Express. And I think we had two consultants in, kind of implanted, Chuck, in your group, maybe three at one time of my people. And our job was to help them with a marketing program. I think we called it primary marketing at the time or market pulse and help <clears throat> the advisors, uh, you know, uh, bring in new clients. And Chuck, Paid our firm, my firm, very well, very well for for I don't know, several months. Maybe it was over a year, and then I remember I getting a phone call from you, Chuck, and you said, hey, "Brian, uh, 
changes this year. New budgets are coming out. We just don't have the money. And I thought, man, I got all these employees. I had to think at the time I had 13 employees. And thankfully, we were in Grand Rapids and you were in Detroit. So it wasn't a big commute, but we had we had people out, out west and out east and down south. So we were flying people every week. And, you know, it was, it was a very expensive venture for a few years for me. And I remember thinking, oh, so I asked you, Chuck, could you give me some thought? Give me some time to think if I come up with an alternate plan. And I use this as a lesson with my clients. So I've always carried a pen and paper always with me wherever I go even if I'm in the shower there's one on the on the on the on the vanity on the cabinet and so um I remember driving down maybe three or four or five days later thinking I don't know what I'm gonna do we're gonna lose Detroit Metro which is a very 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 good client for us and and I really enjoyed working with you and I, I forget the gentleman you had working with you um Oh, I forget his name now. I went to his house a couple of times. He was kind of second in command, I would think, at the time. I can't think of his name. And so anyway, I was, it was one evening. I was driving down 28th Street. I was in the corner of 28th and the Beltline in Grand Rapids. And an idea came to me. My pad of paper and pen were sitting there. I jotted it down. When I got back to my condo, I wrote it down, and I got a hold of you the next day or two days later. And it was, oh, it, the idea was, okay, Chuck, you don't have to pay us a straight fee. But how about this? I will guarantee my consultants and our program will bring in you, I think it was 500 clients or 100 clients or something. My program will bring in this many clients into your, to your, to your advisors within this time frame. If we bring in 499, you don't pay us a dollar. If we bring in 500 or more, you pay us this amount of money. And it was a substantial amount of money and you agreed to it. And I think I, I think it was 500 new clients, but I'm not sure. But whatever the number is, we got to 503, and you wrote me a check. And it was the largest check to that point, and maybe the single largest check we've ever gotten from any one client. But the the lesson there for me was always have an opportunity to capture ideas because they come at the weirdest times. And if I wouldn't have had a pen and paper, I might have just thought about it, and it might have fleeted right through my mind. I don't remember. Do you remember that that deal we we established? I do. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I do remember the conversation. I do remember the shift in our working relationship. And I do, I, I remember, I look back on it positively. I don't remember how many clients we acquired, but I know it was successful. <laughs> well, I, I remember that Chuck and I remember receiving a very nice check from American Express too. Because <laughs> I, I told my employees, I said, if we don't reach this goal, the two of you consultants out there, or three, I think it was at the time, I said, you might not get paid. I still paid them every week, but I said, you're not going to get a bonus at the end. So anyway, and the idea is, is, is ideas come, when we're talking about rest and, and work and rest and work and rest and that balance, the greatest ideas we have for creation and making a difference in the world, they come while we're resting. They come when you're right. mowing the lawn or going for a walk with your spouse or walking through a park or, you know, sitting in the woods or hiking, whatever. That's when they come to you. For me, it was driving down on the corner of 28th and the Beltline in Grand Rapids, Michigan back in 21 years ago. Chuck, I'm going to ask you two more questions here, actually three before we wrap up. The first, this one here is a really important one, and you've shared so much already. I'm not even sure if you could just want to capture this, but capture some of the stuff you've already shared. But you and I are going to jump on a time machine right now, and we're going to go back to that 24-year-old Chuck Wackendorfer laying on his bed, looking up at the ceiling, no money, no food, no credit. And you're going to go back and sit on the edge of the bed. You're going to talk to your 24-year-old self. What piece of advice would you give him at this stage in your life and in your career? 
you're going to get there. <laughs> That's what I would say. Then my 24 year old self, you're going to get there. And it doesn't matter as much whether you get there when you're 50 or 55 or 60, the, the date doesn't matter, but you're going to get there. So don't stop worrying about whether or not you're going to get there. Just worry about doing your best. Because oh. I think there was some anxiety that I carried. I don't know if this is true for anybody else that's listening. Like, there's always this, like, am I going to get there and am I going to get there fast enough? And the sense of urgency, like, there's always a dance in life between the sense of urgency and patience. And it's knowing which one leads the dance. And I always led with a sense of urgency. And I think there, what I've learned as I've gotten older is that sometimes you need to be patient and let things come to you. And so I think I would have like talked to my 24 year old self about like, just keep doing what you're going to, what you're doing, focusing on what, what's, you know, making a difference, practice self-awareness. Uh, it's, and you continue to learn, but it, it doesn't have to be in fifth gear. Cause I think, you know, the, that's the advice you remember from me years ago. That was probably a mantra I repeated for a long time in my life because I was really focused on, you know, getting to where I wanted to go as quickly as possible. And I could have been more patient. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think where it cost me was how I interacted at times with other people, even though, you know, you remember a time when I was very calm, I think I was hard on myself at times and maybe hard on other people as well. Okay. You know, we have a saying, one of one of these eight essentials in our book is, is um, empathy and compassion. So empathy is about recognizing how I feel, or sorry, empathy is about recognizing how other people feel, but empathy begins at home. So empathy is different than sympathy. Sympathy is I feel what you feel. Empathy is I recognize how you feel. And if I recognize how you're feeling and you're upset or you're stressed or whatever it is, if I really recognize that, I'm going to ask you about what's going on. But empathy begins at home. So when I am empathetic with myself, like I'm stressed, I'm upset, and I spend some time exploring that, understanding that, I can be more compassionate with myself, and I'm also more empathetic and compassionate with other people. Because as a leader, what I'm trying to do is help people change their behavior. Right? One of my favorite quotes about leadership is, Leadership is about taking people to a place they would not go on their own. That's a, quoted by from a guy named Joel Barker, right? Leadership is about taking people to a place they would not go on their own. Well, changing behavior is simple but not easy. So if somebody's not changing their behavior, it's usually because they're stuck emotionally. And if I'm not empathetic, if I don't recognize that they're stuck emotionally, I can't help them deal with that. So back to my 24-year-old self, I was not very empathetic with myself. I was very hard on myself. And therefore, I was not very empathetic with other people. 
And I think I could have helped other people more than I did, even though I certainly accomplished some great things, I could have been more empathetic and had an even greater positive influence on them. That's why empathy and compassion are so important. I like that. I'm really empathetic, at least to compassion. I'm really looking forward to this book coming out. Am I right on the release date on that, Chuck? Uh, yeah. April April fourth. Yeah, I mean, you can get it Amazon uh, on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. I think it's Wiley's the publisher, so I'm sure Wiley uh, is also putting some marketing behind it. And by the way, for your listeners, if you want to understand what's important to you, you can go to our website at thinktoperform.com. Think the number two perform.com and and take our values exercise knowing what's important you begin with understanding your values and the values exercise on our website's free feel free to go to you know take you probably 20 minutes to take the exercise and it'll help provide some clarity to your life so bamboo pack members i'm gonna have a link included to think to perform in the body and text of this podcast so please go down there and click on it i know i've taken the the, the values test, I've, it, I've had clients have taken it over the years, and it really has clarified a lot in my the direction I want to go in life. And I can right now, I can share with you what my values are, family, body, mind, spirit, wealth. And I got those by doing the, the, the Think to Perform values test, or the playing cards, Chuck, that you have. I did those years ago, and then I've morphed those into, I've, I've phrased them differently, but that's where that all came from, where my foundation of life is, my family, my body, my mind, my spirit, my wealth, are the five things that I that I base my decisions on, and making sure every day I'm doing something to improve those. So for you Bamboo Pack members, that is a key, I, I believe, it's a very core uh, foundational element to professional and per, uh, personal growth in your life, is to find out what are your values, what is your foundation? So, Chuck, I'm going to ask one more question, and then we'll wrap it up, because a lot of these, I, 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 I skipped a couple because you answered them through, through your words of wisdom, but what right now is the next step for you? As you said, you're 62 years old, what you've accomplished in, multi, in a multitude of, of, of career or a, industries, and now your book is coming out April 4th, what is next for you? You know... I don't have a, well, I want to continue to broaden the impact that our work has had on as many people as possible that will listen to it and apply it. Mm-hmm. So I think to perform, we were, we were founded 20 years ago. We, we felt a deep response, deep sense of responsibility to take what we learned from other mentors in our lives you know people that we knew people that we read and share with other people and so our vision at think perform is to enhance the world by improving the decision making and performance of the individuals and organizations we touch so the phrase enhance the world is very serious we take that commitment very very seriously so i want to continue to take what we have learned and share with as many people as possible so that we can back to this, don't wait for somebody else to fix it. We can make a positive difference in the world and solve some of the issues that we're now facing. And so that I think is whether I do it by writing another book, I'm going to do a Ted talk this year. I don't know what form that takes but I'll continue to do that until I can't do it anymore. I used to have an idea 
I used to have a, a goal of retiring early. And as you know, Brian, I left American Express when I was 41 years old and two, took two years off. I skied and traveled with my wife and kids when everybody was younger. And that profoundly changed how I thought about retirement. Um, doing nothing is overrated. And so I no longer have a goal of doing nothing. Back to something you mentioned a minute ago. As long as I'm continuing to make an impact and do and do things that I enjoy that I, that I love, I'll continue to do it. And then I think have this concept of balance. I may do it less as I get older and take more time for travel or family or whatever. But I, I, the goal of not working permanently is no longer part of the vision I have for my life. So I'm not sure what it'll, what what quite you know what what form it'll take. But I will continue to, to move forward, and I know Doug is passionate about that for himself as well. We have just really scratched the surface, even though our firm is 20 years old. There's a lot more people that we can impact, and so we'll continue to do that. I'm just not sure what that's going to look like. Well, that's exactly the answer I expected right there, is you have, you have things that you're going to continue to broaden the exposure that you and your firm have on the world to more and more people who are going to listen and, and willing to apply it. I mean, I think that's the best answer you can give. And that's, I have no doubt that's what you're, you're going to do. And the rest of your team are going to be behind you doing it with you. Is there anything you want to leave with the bamboo pack before we wrap up, Chuck? You know, just last comment is I hope that in listening to this episode today, there's been something that resonates with your audience that they take and use. Um, one of my favorite books recently is a book called Atomic Habits, written by a guy named James Clear. And to a point you were making earlier in our conversation, one of James Clear's concepts is getting 1% better every day. And so I hope something that we talked about today in our conversation, Brian, is that 1% for your audience? So they can take some of what we talked about, go to the website, do the values exercise, play the freeze, whatever it might be. Something we said, we talked about impacts them because that's really the goal of me doing this today is to, to share what we've learned and benefited from so that somebody else can use it and apply it in their own life. Well, I thought it was just because you wanted to talk to an old friend. Well, that too. That was the added benefit. <laughs> That's the icing on the cake. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And in fact, I love that book, Atomic Habits. A lot of my clients are reading it right now. It's one of my all-time favorite books. There's no doubt, Chuck, that from the conversation we had and, and the experience and wisdom you shared that the Bamboo Pack are going to take a lot. I, I personally took a lot of things and I circled them down. When I circle something, that means, Brian, you absorb that. You di take and dissect that and, and see how you can apply it. And there are four things already that I that you said that I thought, Wow. I need to hear this. I need to look at this myself. So I want to take a real quick minute to thank uh, Sarah Sherman for connecting us or, or working with, obviously, she's the executive assistant at Think to Perform. She did a lot of work getting us set up. Your schedule has been busy these last few months, so I, it was difficult to get you on. And she really was, she's so good at, at uh, corresponding and getting back with me. And so, Sarah, thank you. It's a shout out to you for getting Chuck on the Bamboo Lab podcast. Well, Chuck, I got to tell you, man, this was, I knew this was going to be great. And that's why I was excited for the past few months since I first reached out to you. It's so good to connect with you. I'd like to spend a couple of minutes with you after the recording is done just to talk for a minute. But in the meantime, Chuck, I just want to thank you for being such a wise and inspiring guest on the Bamboo Lab podcast. 
Oh, you're welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. We're going to have you on again when your schedule allows. Maybe after the book releases, we can talk more about the book a little bit. That'd be a good, a good topic. A good topic. Maybe we can get you and Doug together on here. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a a blast. I'll reach out for sure. All right, everybody, the Bamboo Pack, thank you for tuning again this week. And from the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank all of you for helping this podcast to explode the way it has over the first uh, 12 and a half months. If you like what you heard, I know you did. Please smash that like button. Please rate and review us. And please, by all means, share it with three people you love. The material and the wisdom that Chuck shared today This is stuff that so many people can use, whether you are a CEO or a stay-at-home parent or a student in college or high school. There's words of wisdom that can change and transform your lives. Please share this. Until next time, please get out there and sculpt your lives. Please strive to be your best every day. Show love and respect to others. And by all means, live consciously. I appreciate each and every single one of you. All right, we are done recording. I think so. Good.